cracking the code on the RAND plan to hit Russia where it hurts. I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. Let's take a dive off today's Wall Street Journal headline, Treasury likely to prevent U.S. investors from receiving Russian debt payments. A sanctions carve-out that has allowed Russia to stay current on its sovereign debts is likely to expire on May 25th. The way this reads is that Russia is ready, willing, and able to make its loan service payments in dollars as required under the terms of the loan, but the U.S. government, a message delivered by Janet Yellen, will not permit the payments to be made. And that is going to force Russia into technical default, if not actual default, and prevent investors from getting their own money back. And as I look at this, it doesn't really even seem to hurt Russia very much more than the steps that have already been taken. And that's even acknowledged in the article. Like we've shut them out of Western capital markets for the most part. And so they're not really accessing a lot of U.S. denominated debt right now. And they're not even intentionally defaulting. They're being stopped from paying. Like they're not out of money. They're not out of dollars. They're not unwilling to pay. They're literally being stopped by what they could definitely argue is a force majeure, which is usually in the documents, a loan document to give you a little leeway, a little grace, and you could actually sue them for the money probably, but I'm not sure they would even acknowledge the action outside of Russia. So what would you go after? Their assets in Western countries that are cooperating? I think those are all locked up already. So this is an action that really seems more designed to make people in the U.S. feel the pain of this experience more than it is to make Russia feel the pain. But Russia feeling pain seems to be a real purpose, if not the real purpose, of a lot of what we're doing over there. And last deep dive, we talked about this RAND Corporation document called Overextending and Unbalancing Russia, Assessing the Impact of Cost-Imposing Options. So it's clear that they want to impose costs on Russia. They want them overextended. They want them unbalanced. But in that document, it talks about weighing the harms. It talks about how sanctions, for example, would hurt the U.S., but it would even more hurt the EU, and they hope that it would hurt Russia more. But that really speaks to how the interests of the taxpayer is not aligned with the interests of these shot callers. The people who are writing this, Rand Corporation and the people who commissioned it, which I will tell you about later, they are just considering us another factor to weigh. And presumably, they only have the authority to act in our name based on our interests. And when they say U.S. interests, they don't mean us, the taxpayer. That's what I gathered by the end of this document. But I wanted to go back because there was so much in that document. And I really just highlighted the big picture last time. And when I went back to look at it today, I realized that it is way bigger than I thought. That thing I was reading was a 12-page summary. It was very comprehensive, easy to read, lots of tables. I highly recommend. It's in my show notes here. But what else is in my show show notes is like a three or 400-page report, a PDF of the actual report. And it is just 
full of smoking guns that totally blow up the mainstream media narratives that you're hearing about what's happening in the world in that region. And it really validates what they would call conspiracy theories from Syria to Ukraine to Belarus, stuff that we speculate about. It's pretty spot on. What you see is what you get. It looks like the U.S. is messing around with those countries and for specific reasons, and it's all in there. So as you read this document, as I was reading it, it's clearer, you know, gave me some insight into the questions of who are they, you know, big T, they, and what is the true nature of power in the world today? I just, it, it doesn't answer the questions necessarily, but it sheds some light onto where there are real tensions and where there are, there is collusion. I'll touch on that uh, in a little bit, but I wanted to just make sure I addressed the bigger picture from today's article. It was an article about Janet Yellen, or she was delivering the message, saying that that the government's going to stand between U.S. investors and their money, which they have a right to. And it seemed like this was an example of two things. One is the manufactured nature of all these so-called crises that we're experiencing, from gas prices to food shortages to supply chain interruptions to power outages. I should probably do a deep dive on each one of those things. I know Lanny and Chud on Greener Postures did get into their own version of a deep dive into the food shortages, which I am eager to listen to. And maybe I'll put that in the show notes if I can remember. And I'm sure lots of people are addressing these things, but like the power outages are utilities and and states deciding to take things offline, maybe take them offline because they're not green enough, but they don't have enough stuff to replace it or just taking it offline in anticipation of problems, which is really just a feel the pain kind of strategy to get people on board with policies. In Event 201, it talks about how to do that, how to get businesses in line with certain government policies by making them feel the pain. I've talked about supply chain interruptions just being these perfect storms of a bunch of stuff that doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense. It's not plausible. The gas prices, they're talking about price gouging uh, laws. I think Congress just put a, up a proposal like that to have a law that would punish price gougers. And, and that is, and I've been predicting this for a while, that is exactly how you had the 70s gas crunch was price controls. It wasn't, there is no shortage of gas. There's only government policy. And I said, like, the only way they're, they're warning us of a 70s style situation. The only way you're going to get that is price controls. And lo, I think just yesterday or today, Congress started talking about that. So they're definitely trying to stress us out. They're trying to level us down. Why you can, I mean, it could come down to just as simple as they had to raise interest rates by 7%. And this is the only way they're going to be able to do that. But another thing that this article felt like an example of to me is that they are actually not really punishing Russia so much as they are punishing us for making our own choices. And it's so we can't buy Russian oil or wheat or fertilizer or lend money to Russia without them imposing their judgment calls on us. And I disagree. They, I think they are morally wrong. I want to support moral causes, or sometimes I want to remain neutral. But what I absolutely do not want to do is for all of my tax dollars and my investment dollars to support what is at the very least a pathocracy. 
where the government works against the interests of those they govern. I mean, that is what I'm seeing here. That's what Yellen is doing. And it's like the ESG standards. I don't, I don't want my small piece of the capitalist pie, my small little shares supporting policies that I don't like and that work against me, whether it's social, cultural, or political, economic, it's about the future of technology. I don't want those big picture decisions being paid for with my dollars when I'm really just trying to buy, you know, get some interest in Gillette or something. So it's clear that our government and these actors who act in our name do not have the same interests that we ourselves have. They are betraying the power that we have delegated to them. And they not only betray the power that we've delegated to them or whether we've consented, which I don't consent, or acquiesce, which I guess we do, but they are also betraying other countries' rights to their representatives, to their sovereignty. And that is exemplified in Victoria Newland reporting to Chevron and Mobile. If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know she's on record telling them that she spent $5 billion taxpayer dollars to have regime change, basically, in Ukraine when their president, democratically elected, decided to enter into an arm's-length transaction with Russia regarding gas and finance that she didn't want or they didn't want. But that was eight years ago, and I still wasn't crystal clear why they provoked Russia to finally take action. I mean, they knew he would have to act if they were agitating to get into NATO. They painted him into a corner. I kind of thought maybe it was to have an excuse to move military equipment right up against Russia and be able to say it was a reaction. But now we know that they did provoke it. They did provoke it on purpose and why they provoked it. According to the headline of this Rand Corporation document, they wanted to overextend and unbalance Russia. In this document, in the longer version of this document, it actually says, this is a passage from the document from 2019, the United States could become more vocal in its support for NATO membership for Ukraine. While NATO's requirement for unanimity makes it unlikely that Ukraine could gain membership in the foreseeable future, Washington's pushing this possibility could boost Ukraine resolve while leading Russia to redouble its efforts to forestall such a development, further extending Russia's commitment and costs. They literally say outright they want Russia to get mired in this thing and that they were going to threaten Ukraine membership in NATO to spark that enmeshment, <laughs> that environment, whatever. So there were other smoking guns in this report, by the way. So that's a smoking gun. And actually, there's two more I wanted to highlight. Belarus. I mentioned it the other day, Belarus destabilizing or regime change in Belarus was one of the things they thought might overextend Russia. They then, so I went deeper into the report and found they said that Belarus was probably Russia's most important ally. They already do a lot of exercises there. They have military equipment there. It's an important buffer zone to them. And fomenting regime change was something that they were considering to remove a Russian ally. This is a quote, overextend Russia and support liberalization, which when they say that, what they're saying is more mercantilism, in my opinion. They want markets for our goods. And by our, I mean theirs and their cronies. It's not doing us any good. 
But I had seen in Belarus a couple of things that were absolutely clearly globalist maneuvers or had the U.S. fingerprints all over it. I didn't necessarily know exactly who did it, why, yada, yada. But the two things were protests there in 2020 following a failed bid of the IMF to inject a billion dollars into Belarus or to make a deal with Lukashenko directly. He's the longtime president over there. They were going to give him a billion dollars to go along with COVID stuff. So I figured it was them paying him off to do COVID stuff, which it says in Event 201, they were going to do country by country. But there was more to it than that, I think, because this article said they could either give aid to the opposition by giving vocal support from leader U.S. leaders to financial and organizational assistance to the opposition. And the opposition in Belarus is like some highly U.S.-connected YouTube star and his wife or girlfriend. There's some real obvious stuff going on there. But they also said that alternatively, and I think this is a real smoking gun, the U.S. could adopt the opposite approach and try to leverage recent unrest in Belarus to build a closer relationship with Lukashenko's regime through the offer of economic aid. So maybe that billion dollars for COVID stuff was really a beard for just paying this guy off, bribing him, turning him, you know, like a double agent. So we saw those reports. We talked about it. A lot of people flagged that. But I mean, how often do you find a smoking gun? Like, this is what we're going to do and this is why. Well, it's in this report. And it even talks about how doing that could poke the bear. It says uh, this might spur Russia to respond by stepping up its own efforts to destabilize third country regimes in the West or elsewhere in the former Soviet space. So they are literally risking having Russia destabilize our backyard. I mean, these guys are playing a high-level game, and they're not they are not trying to improve the schools in the U.S. They're not trying to give tax rebates. That's not what's going on here. They're using our money and our name to move pieces around the chessboard that basically kill and steal. <laughs> That's what they do. So another thing that, I, that I'd been talking about is this idea of is climate change about moving away from fossil fuels because we feel like we can't dominate that space anymore? Is that possible? I've said that many times. It's just a real speculative thing. Or maybe we're cutting off Russia and China because we want to create an oligopoly rather than a monopoly. If we can't monopolize the whole world for everything from finance to energy, then maybe we just want to have two worlds, a bipolar thing like Cold War, and just have our own competitive space. So I don't know if, if it's to that level, but they definitely talk about trying to define and delimit the sphere of competition. I mean, this is absolutely right there. And they are so proud of the fact that that's how they think. There were two passages here that I can't, I have to just read to you because they're so on point. It says, our work builds on the concept of long-term strategic competition developed during the Cold War. A 1972 Rand report posited that the U.S. needed to shift its strategic thinking away from trying to stay ahead of the Soviet Union in all dimensions and toward trying to control the competition and channel it into areas of U.S. advantage. The United States could prompt the Soviet Union to shift its limited resources into areas that posed less of a threat. The work builds on the concept of long-term strategic competition developed during the Cold War. 
A seminal 1972 RAND report posited that the United States needed to shift its strategic thinking away from trying to stay ahead of the Soviet Union in all dimensions and toward trying to control the competition and channel it into areas of U.S. advantage. I mean, that's what I think they're doing. And then it goes into like the really big picture stuff, like unbelievably big picture. It says the United States has provided limited support to Russia's opponents in eastern Ukraine and Syria and might do more, thereby driving up Russian costs. So that's what this is all about, costing Russia, money, face, everything. And then it goes on to say proxy competition of this sort is not new. Indeed, the, quote, great game characterized interstate relations for several centuries as aspirant global powers clashed over conflicting spheres of influence. The renewal of such maneuvering marks a return to a form of geopolitical competition that some analysts argue took a brief hiatus after the end of the Cold War when the United States was left as the lone superpower and the ideology of liberal democracy seemed to reign supreme. They are talking about a shift in their strategy and viewpoint because we don't have that. We have not been able to maintain that unipolar world. I mean, this thing really, I mean, I, sometimes I think when we get into this real big picture stuff, it gets just spins off into complete speculation. But I'm telling you, it is what you see is what you get. It's amazing. Oh, there was another little thing in here that I just... uh couldn't resist. I think I saw it first on Moon of Alabama. I don't know if he had seen this report. It's nothing new, but it says that Rand had some concern that absent reform to Ukraine's defense industry, Western military equipment might be reverse engineered and enter the international market in competition with U.S. suppliers. And that's what they care about, competition with U.S. suppliers, not the fact that they're, they're throwing all this crazy military equipment into the black market. I mean, it's, it's just mind-blowing. Anyway, uh, but I do think that a lot of the stuff that I saw in this report clarified for me or gave some more color to the true nature of the relationship between the United States and Russia, how that really shakes out. And part of that is who commissioned this report and also by providing proof positive that this was provoked that Russia's action was intentionally provoked by the U.S. with threats of having Ukraine join NATO for specific stated reasons. So let's start with who commissioned this. The Army Quadrennial Defense Review Office, which is in the office of the Deputy Chief of Staff G8 Army Headquarters. And they put it out every four years. It's quadrennial. It was originally asked for by Congress after the Soviet Union collapsed as a peacekeeping thing, document study, and then Rumsfeld turned it into a war footing study, figures. Uh, anyway, so, but the way it's laid out, the way this talks about Russia, and, and my guess is, my, I'm confident there's one on China. Oh, I should look that up. Should, there's probably one on China. There's probably one on the Middle East, gosh. <laughs> so, because this quadrennial thing, defense review, it, it's not just about Russia, although NATO will say that Russia is its real enemy and all of that. But with the way this is laid out, I can't help but think that the, at this, at this level, either this is the top, you know, this is the top of the 3D chessboard. I know people like overuse that, that expression, but 
I mean, there are layers of this stuff. So is this the top? Is this where power is brokered? Is this where competition really takes place? I mean, I guess I think about it like companies within an industry. So the industry would be national power, you know, and they all the different nation states are like the companies that compete within an industry. So you want to compete with your peer competitors. And actually, that is the language that starts off this RAND document, they, that Russia is a significant or the most significant peer competitor. So you want to compete with them to the best of your ability But if there's a policy or event that affects your entire industry, your interests are aligned. So if Event 201 or ISIS increases the power of each government or protests around the world or, or, you know, technological change is a threat to all governments, that's not where you start blowing each other's cover. That's where you kind of get on the same page. And then I guess there's a point at which it just goes too far and you either literally go nuclear you know, or you start, I mean, I actually think they would sooner go nuclear than really pull back the curtain on how this stuff works. But it feels to me like there is some legit competition at this level. And so that's, I just feel like that, that actually makes me feel a little better. And it actually makes me feel like there's a ceiling to how Truman show this whole world is. And uh, I feel like while the earthly powers can still compete and no one has absolute power, that's, that's hopeful. That's hopeful because competition checks power. Greed drives advancement, but then competition checks the, the power that gets concentrated. I like it. And, and an oligopoly is better than a monopoly. Let's, let's bring it back down to earth even another step. Which is, so the last deep dive, I did talk about the Rancorp thing, but I also just threw out there something that I was doing. I was making bone broth, or I was making broth from shrimp shells. And I've talked before so many times about like how satisfying I find it to do that. It works for me on so many levels. But I was reflecting on that and I was like, not every, it's not everybody's bag. And, and that kind of creativity, that kind of satisfaction doesn't have to be primal. So I was thinking, like, I thought it would be pretty cool. It's probably not my thing. I'm not sure I even have the physical strength for it. But to get an old car, car with a carburetor, or like a really dumb car, and learn how to fix it up because it doesn't have to be pre-technology to be an answer to the technocracy that's descending. It could be a really satisfying endeavor that would also provide the getaway part of guns, gold, and a getaway kind of bug-out mobile. And that made me think that it's maybe something we should talk to Grant about on Saturday. So that would be when you're hearing this, it's tomorrow. Today's Friday, tomorrow, Saturday, May 21st at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. We are going to do a live stream with Grant, who's a survivalist. And I haven't done a live stream in a while to connect. So I'll put the YouTube link in the show notes here, but you could just go to youtube.com slash the propaganda report. And I don't know how hard it is to find like if there's a live stream going on, but it'll, it'll be a live video there. And if you are logged into YouTube, you can chat. You can chat to each other. You can chat to me. If you have questions for Grant, I'll put them up on the screen so we can discuss them. But really a lot of the fun just happens in the chat on those live streams. So I hope you can make it. I'm kind of missing y'all. So I would like to see you there. And um, that's it. A lot of stuff. A lot of, a lot of stuff. I just like that report just blew my mind. So that's in the, that's in the show notes too. 
I'm Monica Perez. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show.